Welcome to Kuyperian Commentary Podcast. This is uh, episode 86, and our goal is to provide a view of the world that makes sense of the present madness of crowds, the even jellyfishness, and the profound knowledge that both uh, Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi are out of the Champions League in one round. I bet you didn't know that. Man, that has rocked my world, but we believe that Kuiper had a solution to that problem, which is why I have with me here uh, a new friend, Dr. Scott Annual, who will enlighten our minds to these most perplexing questions. Dr. Annual is the Associate Professor and Director of Doctoral Worship Studies at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. And he founded a great website, the Religious Affection Ministries, and he does a lot of work in that regard. And he has also now the uh, profound turmoil of tolerating Jared Ritchie as his doctoral student. That's right. Man, I'm so sorry about that. Dr. Daniel, how are you, my brother? Do, doing very well. Thanks so much for having me. Jer- Jared's doing great, and uh, so I'm glad, glad to have him in the program. Well, I'm glad you are. <laughs> Listen, when I, when I read your material, um, I feel that the only place we differ is probably in a few gallons of water for baptism. <laughs> and we have so much in common. I first yes. met you, uh, for those who are listening to Kuiper, I met you at the Psalm Tap in Monroe, Louisiana, which incidentally became the the ground zero for COVID outbreak, but that's a different conversation. <laughs> we met back last year in Monroe at the Psalm Tap, uh, Psalm Tap Conference, which was fantastic. And I enjoyed your company so much. I, I bothered you so much and you were so gracious and I really enjoyed your talk. And I have been pretty much this past year quietly stalking your social media presence. And uh, man, there's so much we share in common yeah. And so um, I, I want to delve you, right in. Go ahead, Scott. I was going to say, you, you, were, you were so busy that week. I, I wish we could have spent more time together. Uh, but I was, yeah, that was a great conference. And I was glad to, glad to meet you and interact a little bit. Yeah, likewise. Likewise. I, I want to delve into uh, a passion that we both have, which um, I don't think is Champions League. We can talk about it some other time. But one thing we share in common is our passion for, for church music. Uh, I'd be curious to ask you, did, did you, do you come from a uh, musical family? Yes. Oh yeah. Our family was, was very musical. Uh, I've got two sisters, all three of us, I think took three different music lessons all at once. So there was always music going on in the home, uh, church and Christian school. I grew up in very musical. So music has always been a really important part of my life. That's great. So one of one of the ways I met you was, of course, through Jared, but um, I also knew that you had published a hymnal for, yeah. is it uh, particularly, I mean, I'm sure it serves the purpose of your congregation. Has it been adopted in other places as well? It has. I mean, we, so we published it through, through the ministry that I'm involved with, Religious Affections Ministries, and we did it really just as a labor of love initially. We, 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 we weren't aiming for any market, you know, we, would, we just wanted to collect some of the best English hymnody in, in one collection. Uh, it's called Hymns to the Living God and was published in 2017. So our, our church adopted it. A number of the editors uh, who were on the project or pastors, their churches adopted it. But we actually, we sold the first 2,000 copies within a couple months and then went wow. to a second printing. And so there's, there's you know, there's, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not a bestseller and, and there's not thousands of churches using it, but there's a respectable number of churches and families who are using the hymnal. So we're just really thankful to be able to get that resource into the hands of churches and families. That's great. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of dads that listen to Kyperian and um, 
you have a, a habit of singing with your family. I think I've seen some of those little clips and yes. um, it, it's been uh, such a joy to do that as a, as a father. So there's a lot of men wondering how in the world do I do this, especially for that, for the guys who perhaps are not uh, musically gifted, which, yeah. um, which is an excuse that I do not let pass by. <laughs> but how, how do you begin to encourage men to, to love uh, hymnody? Scott, yeah. I mean, I just think you just got to do it. Number one, uh, we, you know, it doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be, you know, a hundred hymns in the evening, but when we gather for family worship in the evenings, we, we just work through the hymnal. We, we sing, uh, we usually have one hymn that we sing every day for seven days. So we're, I'm, I'm just, you know, something that I want them to memorize. And then we sing one other hymn and we just work progressively right through the hymnal. My daughter keeps a bookmark and she lets us know what's next and it doesn't have to be complicated. And, you know, I mean, there are, there are resources on YouTube and things where you can, if you don't know the hymn, you can look it up and get the melody. And um, I just think, you know, the more, especially fathers lead their family in singing, they're going to raise up boys who, for whom it's just natural mm -hmm. and it's going to cultivate a, a whole culture of, of singing that unfortunately we've lost in modern America, we've lost in modern evangelical families. So I think fathers just need to step up and just start doing it and realize they're investing in, in really generations of recovering singing in the home. Wow, that's great. Did your folks, uh, did your parents sing hymns? What, what yeah, we, uh, we, we sang a lot. Um, our, we sang a lot of hymns at church. I, I had, you know, I, I went to a Christian school growing up, so we were always singing. So there's just, so that I'm really thankful for that heritage. So it's just sort of natural for me and I want it to be natural for my kids. I don't want my, I don't want my boys to think that singing is something that's not masculine because it is masculine yeah. and, and, and they don't know any different because they've grown up in my house. They've grown up in a church of men that sing. And so we've just got to, you know, if for, for listeners for whom that's not been part of their church or family culture, you just got to step up and start it and then, you know, hope that someday for your sons, it will be just natural. And I think just, just start doing it. That's great. That's, that's great wisdom. I, there's a real beauty into um, pastoral longevity. When you're in the church for a long time, when your people know that um, you love them, you can get away with all sorts of things. <laughs> One of the things I do since I'm up in the pulpit every Sunday, and if I see the younger generation not singing through a hymn, However complicated it might be, might be a German melody or whatever. After the service, I happily go to them and ask them if something was wrong with them that day. If they had any, <laughs> if they have, if they're undergoing some terminal illness or something like that, why was there not singing? And they laugh and they know that I care for them. But I think that sentiment ought to prevail. This is something normal. And in the kingdom of heaven, it is virtually the hippest and coolest thing that a man can do. That's right. And um, I, I'm, I'm grateful for um, that kind of sentiment um, uh, being perpetuated in our evangelical culture. So you talked about this in your talk last year, the Psalm Tap, which I'll probably put a link to because it's really fantastic. When did you, in your um, sort of evangelical uh, background, when did you come to a, 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 a crisis? In, 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 when was that revival in your heart that said music is really fundamental to shaping the rituals of the church? Was there a time when you just said, yeah. I need to take this to the next level? Well, you know, in, in the providence of God, I grew up in a church with a pastor who was musical and who <clears throat> preached strongly about the importance of music 
always rooted it theologically in the beauty of God. And, and just, I'm really thankful for that formative upbringing. So really, I mean, it was, it was in high school. Um, I had to write a paper, I think for an English class and I was, I was musical. So I thought I'm going to write a philosophy of music paper. And I met with my pastor. He gave me a bunch of stuff to read. And that was really my first dive into thinking really carefully and theologically about music. And it just, it just continued from there on into college, thinking more carefully. And then, of course, starting my first, my, my first uh, ministry as an associate pastor in Illinois, and now having the responsibility of leading and planning services and investing, I, that, that just increased my desire to get a, a, a solid handle on why am I doing, what am I doing, how is this impacting the spiritual life of the people in the congregation. Um, so it, was, it wasn't a, a sort of a crisis moment. It was more like steps in a progression, building off of what was invested. I mean, this ties into what we were just talking about. I was, I was invested in as, as a child and as a young man. And that gave me an interest in, in further study of these things and then the desire to pass them on to others. So it's really a, a, a progression of, of study and, and then uh, the burden to, to really impact others with these things. How long have you been a pastor? So I started ministry in 2004 in Illinois, um, and I've served in various capacities over the years. Have you seen uh, the, have you seen people walking to your, your flock without, um, you know, they've maybe they have accepted, the, you know, Pink Floyd into their hearts, but they haven't accepted, uh, uh, you know, uh, Cooper or any of the, yeah. the, good, the goodies, uh, the tunes of the, of the, um, the great hymns of the faith. Yeah. Um, when you have you seen that transition and, and walk me through their perspective? On yeah, that? I absolutely. In, in my the current church, I'm an elder in here in, in Fort Worth. This is very common. I think people, people who join our church don't typically join because they're initially looking for a church that sings hymns or that has a formal liturgy like we do or anything like that. They're more rec, they're more leaving a situation where they, they recognized a void and they're searching for more substance they come to our church and typically the first the first kind of comments i get is this is unusual but we recognize this service is filled with scripture mm. we're not used to that so something is right here so that's usually where it starts and then i think you know along the way they recognize the connection between uh between a service being filled with scripture and guided with scripture and shaped by scripture. And then they start to see connections both because I'm, I'm, I'm teaching them verbally and just through example mm -hmm. of how what we're singing also ties in perfectly with this emphasis on scripture and an emphasis on the, the formation and the covenant renewal that's taking place in the corporate worship service rather than the typical perspective of just sort of an expressivism that mm -hmm. is so common in modern evangelical worship. So we, we really emphasize this is not just you coming and, and authentically, authentically expressing to the Lord, although hopefully that's happening. This service is a time in which God is doing something to you mm. and forming these things within you. And once people recognize that, then they see, okay, yeah, I might, this might not be my favorite initially, or I might not be familiar with this, but I recognize that it's doing something 
powerfully to me. And then I get all the time people who you know, tell me after several years of being a part of the church, now they love it. And, yeah. and it just, it, it happens gradually. They recognize that they've been shaped by it. And now they, they can't do without it because they recognize how, how deeply substantive it really is. That's great. One of the first things I said to you when I, when I uh, after your talk, is I was really um, uh, happily surprised to see this kind of um, musical philosophy and this sort of reformation of worship taking place within the Baptist world, which, yeah. um, you know, the modern Baptist world at least doesn't have that kind of those kinds of uh, proclivities or trajectories. Right. Where do you see what you're saying uh, resonating among um, Baptist pastors and parishioners in the country? It, it is, I think. I think there's a growing interest in having more scripture guided, scripture infused worship. I mean, really, maybe in the last 10 years, kind of my age and younger are really thirsting for this. And then, and then some of the generation a little older than I are starting to recognize this too. Um, you know, I don't know, I don't know what the catalyst was. I mean, perhaps it's things got so crazy and out of hand and kind of the entertainment model that, you know, true spirit and dwelt believers recognized there's got to be something more and began searching. Um, I think Brian Chappell's book, Christ-Centered Worship, about, uh, what was it, 2009 or so, mm -hmm. had, a, had a big impact to help evangelicals see the gospel shape in historic liturgy and, and kind of a renewal there. Um, maybe just the whole gospel gospel renewal in the last 10, 15 years has contributed as well. So I think there's a number of things that have all kind of worked together to where, yeah, among, among Baptists as a subset, but really maybe broader evangelicalism too, uh, there seems to be a, a real renewed ex exploration into biblically saturated worship and bringing back some of the historic liturgical practices that are infused with scripture, rooted in scripture, and very formative for Christian faith. So a little plug for, <clears throat> for the guys who uh, write your paycheck. What's, what's really unique about the doctoral worship studies at Southwestern that can't be found in, the, in other institutions, Baptist or, or otherwise? Yeah, I, it, it's, uh, you know, I, that all of what I've been talking about is, is infused here, and, and I'm really thankful for it. I mean, our Dean, Joe Kreider, you know, one of the first things that, that connected our hearts was this desire for, for scripture-infused, scripture-guided worship. That's one of his emphases. We saw right away a, a commonality between us and that. So I think that, that emphasis of, of scripture-driven worship and really rooting ourselves in the word combined with what really makes, I think, what we offer here at Southwestern Seminary unique is an emphasis on high quality music too. Not, not music for its own sake, but music that serves the, the discipleship uh, focus of our, of our corporate ministries, uh, that serves the theologically rich things that we're singing. Um, and so that, that combination is unfortunately more and more rare in modern evangelicalism and in other institutions of higher learning. Um, but I'm really, I, I'm, I'm thrilled to be part of that unique combination here in what we're doing. Uh, and then in our, in our doctoral program, which, which you mentioned Jared early is, is, earlier as a part of, 
Uh, it's just, it's, it's so much fun to be able to just really dig deeply into the theological literature, the historical literature, the philosophical literature, and, and mine the depths of these topics to think very carefully about, about our theology of worship, our practice of worship, the philosophical issues that impact uh, our worship, and, uh, and then to see these, these students go out and, and teach others and invest in their local churches. And uh, it's just, it's a real, real joy to see that, that kind of love and fervency for scripture and for history to spread among others. Oh, that's, that's remarkable. I'm so glad to hear that. Um, it's really, really encouraging. I think uh, from our perspective, we see we're just this little speck, this just small piece of the cosmos here, but to see yeah. uh, seminaries and churches sort of embracing that vision is really encouraging. Um, and let us not despise the days of small beginnings. Yeah, absolutely. Scott, just a, a couple of uh, final questions here. Um, brief answers. Um, a couple of quotes from yours. And if you give me just um, a couple of um, follow-ups to your quote, I, I appreciate okay. that. You write, uh, corporate worship is like renewing your gospel vows to Christ. Yeah. So this, this, th- that, that's my attempt to sort of push back against this sort of more expressivist philosophy of worship. And remind us that what we're doing in worship, we we don't initiate the worship. We're we're not the ones trying to get God's attention and call him down. That's paganism. Mm -hmm. Rather, what we're doing in corporate worship is God has established a covenant with us through the gospel. And so what we do each week is like renewing our wedding vows. We are renewing our commitment to God through the gospel. He is renewing his commitment to us that he's made promises to us through Christ. And that's the great formative joy of what we do on on the Lord's day. All right. One more here. This is uh, really beautiful. Caught my eye. The Lord's table is the most beautiful earthly enactment of the complete fellowship made possible by union with Christ. Yeah. So if we, if we understand the nature of worship to be this communion with God through Christ, that's what's pictured in the table. Uh, we, we would not be welcome at the table of the Lord, except that our broken fellowship has been restored. And that is what we celebrate when we come to the table. And that is what is renewed within us each time we celebrate that, that beautiful uh, picture of, that, of communion with Christ. That's great. And then finally, Amazing Grace is not the greatest evangelical hymn. That's Did I a, say that? Uh, <laughs> You did. I'm just uh, speaking for you here. What? What? Give me a hymn or two that you really love, Scott. That really catches oh, your uh, attention. Probably my favorite, which we're actually singing this Sunday, is "How Sweet and Awful Is the Place" by Isaac Watts. Yeah, well, uh, one of his. Le- I mean, he's Watts is so well known, but that's one of his lesser known hymns, and just a beautiful, beautiful, uh, a beautiful hymn. Uh, and coming up in the life of the church, another one of my favorites is uh, "My Song Is Love Unknown." Oh, it yeah. tells the narrative of of the triumphal entry leading to the cross and is just a stunning hymn, both textually and musically. It is. They are both beautiful, beautiful hymns to be sung uh, individually and congregationally. Dr. Scott Annual, man, what a joy to see you, brother. And uh, thanks for joining us here at Kyperion. Yeah, thanks so much.